WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. Welcome back to WKTY Outdoors. I'm Kevin Millar. Thank you for joining me on the program this morning here. Let's uh, let's hop right into it here. Let's uh, get the guest on here, and uh, we'll chat this morning here with Captain Ted Peck, who uh, is a uh, uh, longtime guide and fishing expert here on the on the Mississippi River, prolific author. He's got a brand-new book coming out uh, that we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, but uh, first, we're going to talk some river walleyes here. Good morning, Captain. How are you this morning? Good morning, Kevin. It's a beautiful day here. It is. Uh, it is beautiful out there. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I suspect, uh, as you you kind of referenced when we when I, I called you up here this morning, it's going to be a crazy weekend on the river. Oh, it absolutely is. I launched yesterday morning. I was on the water about a quarter to six, drowning some willow cats there, which is a whole different kind of fishing for walleyes. And it was, oh, I don't know, kind of like a. Uh, Goldilocks moment. I had three that were too big, three that were too small, and <laughs> one about 19 inches that was just right on these willow cats. And when I pulled back in, uh, the new Albin boat launch on the west side was still closed. So I pulled back into Visigers where I launched. Uh, there were 16 rigs in the parking lot on the road, and there's room for about three of them. So that just says how crowded it is, especially with the uh, Lansing Bridge closed now for about eight, nine days. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The uh, Yeah, so it's... Uh... Uh, and what la- and and you said there was one one of the landings is still closed and everything. Well, yes, uh, that that whole thing, Kevin, uh, the, the one on the Army Road at New Albion, uh, the, the Iowa DNR has done a wonderful job of putting gravel in there, uh, backing up to the the Corps of Engineers. Of course, they project the river levels, and they actually because I yelled at them, they uh, actually changed the 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 action stage to six twenty five point two, uh, which is where. New Albion launch is typically closed, and access becomes difficult. Well, right now, because they put seven, nine loads of gravel in there, you can now access the river. We're talking at Genoa Pool at almost 627, and that's where we're at right now. So I'm thinking as by noon today, uh, that west side launch will be open, and that's the only launch uh, within 10 miles. I mean, from the the, uh, end of pool, beginning of pool nine, or beginning of pool nine clear down to uh, Lansing. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, and, and yeah, I because I, I was gonna say I'm like I I don't I didn't think the water it was is the water still that high down there? Well, it, it's dropping. It's beautiful. It's the new normal because of all the siltation in the pool. Uh, it's like a milk a gallon milk jug. You start out uh, Mississippi still has a gallon of water, but all the siltation is like pebbles in the bottom of the the milk jug, and so it outflows the normal banks and. That's just the new normal here. Uh, so uh, it, it's high, but it's about normal, and it's going to drop like a stone in the next week or so if uh, so, nobody flushes a toilet in Minneapolis. And uh, we'll be back rocking and rolling, uh, actually wing dam fishing on the rocks here, I'm guessing probably by Tuesday. Yeah, I, I, and, and just driving around here in, in, in the lacrosse here, yeah, you normally this time of year, you know, you can see those wing dams sticking out pretty well, but... It hasn't been the case uh, a, a whole lot this uh, this year so far. Boy, it's uh, well, actually two years. It, uh, yeah. We haven't seen actually normal summer pools since 2017. Uh, because and you're going to have there's going to be a month you know every year where in the summertime where you get the floods and it, it's up there for a month and you can't really fish, which just pushes the fish into the backwaters. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm really excited about the next three four weeks coming up because we're going to be just like the good old days. Navigation in the uh, back channel is going to be a little bit more challenging. We're talking up there by lacrosse. You'll pull seven, eight, nine uh, down on ten, uh, but that's good because as the river drops 
it uh, tends to draw the fish out of the running sluice back into the, the main channel, which means you can have a real active wing dam and closing dam bite. And typically the closing dam bite comes on oh, about four or five, six inches of river fall uh, higher than the wing dam bite because the closing dams run parallel to the channel. Mm-hmm. And so you get on that back side, the non-current side of the closing dam, the walleyes will locate there before they move out. It's kind of a technical thing. Okay. Well, no, yeah, and that's that's interesting. I guess they hadn't 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 uh, hadn't thought about that. Uh, and they're just they just sort of stage on those those closing dams, and then they'll move out. Is that is that how I'm understanding this correctly? Oh no, no. You got a, the closing dam. You have a closing dam. Say you have one on on the west side of the channel, and of course the purpose of the closing dam is to keep the river in the main channel rather than scooting off to the side there and, and feeding a side channel when the river gets to a certain level. And the fish are, the walleyes are always relating to the, the closing dams one way or the other. Uh, well, usually anyway. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to fight the current. They want to go where the food is. So as the river starts to drop, they're there, but they're easier to catch. They're on the non-channel side of the closing dams to begin with. And as it continues to drop, they move out to the channel side and actually up on top of the closing dam and in three, four feet of water as things continue to stabilize. I mean, just before the river came up this last time, I was av- absolutely pounding the, the quality walleyes there uh, using a rattle trap, which only runs down about three feet, just over in the, the, I think the thing topped out at about six. So that's right in the ballpark for, for uh, a lipless vibrating crankbait. Uh, use an oxbow pattern is my favorite. It's a killer. Uh, and, and you're going to see that happen again. Um, as things continue to drop and stabilize, and navigation will get a little bit more challenging in the backwater because as, as the river recedes, uh, things change back there. So you've got to be very, very careful. Nav- it's actually, I think, more dangerous navigating in uh, lower water than it is in a flood condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, as we've kind of been talking about, the water's been been high. I'm thinking there's probably a few people that maybe aren't quite as used to that shallower water that uh, that we're maybe starting to see now. Well, it, it's going to be uh, quite a thing here as it drops to really essentially normal summer pool. Yeah. You really got to know where you're going. And even though I'm on this river every day and have been for 20-plus years here on this pool, uh, the, the first time as things start to drop, you need to be careful because a number of uh, deadfalls are exposing themselves. Uh, you have a little bit of timbers is still coming down as it continues to uh, stabilize. Some places you can't even get to. There's one, uh, one really, really good uh, running slough. Uh, just just south of the uh, Pool 8, Pool 9 dam uh, on the west side that, well, well, right now I'm running back up in there on plane, not a problem, but just before things started to rise again here about a month ago, I actually bottomed out in there and had to just tip the motor all the way up and use use my canoe paddle and the trolling motor just, just to get out of there. And now there's four feet of water in there, or was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I mean, and that's one of the things about this river. It is always changing. There's always... And it, it never stays the same for the most part. Oh, it's, that's absolutely true. It changes by the hour, uh, just like the walleye bite. Now, what we have now, um, with, with the we see, oh, there's so much to it, Kevin. When the mm-hmm. river is, is, is off-colored, because you've got the influence from uh, runoff, high water, rain, that kind of thing, the bite is actually better on a sunny day once the sun gets up. But as things start to drop and clear, uh, the peak walleye bite, of course, they love low light. Those crepusculate feeders, those weird-looking eyes, uh, actually your, your peak walleye bite when you find them up on top of the rocks is going to be from very first light until about 8 o'clock. Light penetration is a factor. 
on both fish location and behavior, especially those will marbleize. Uh, one way to to get around that, of course, willow cats they're they're kind of pricey at about two bucks a piece, but uh, that in high water it's a surefire thing because you you have to go to a certain position and anchor up. Presentation is key, and location is more important because those fish are going well, like like speed skaters going around a track, mm-hmm. they will actually line up. You know, and follow a, a particular uh, current seam, and that's where you want to drop that willow cat. And you put that in front of them, you're just going to catch fish all day long. Mm-hmm. And and how do you re- and and I, I guess for someone, I, you, you've got the experience, but for someone who maybe isn't quite as as knowledgeable, how do you read that current seam and know where to where to make that make that throw? Well, I guess there's no substitute for time on the water. There, I mean, it's uh, electronics don't play much of a role other than water temperature and cold water period reading the seam what you got to remember is the uh the riffles that you're going to see and of course there's deep water riffles and shoaling riffles and all that but the current you see that little ripple of a current seam that's always on the down current side of whatever structure you're looking at so if you see a slick spot and the riffles are so you're going upstream and you see a slick spot and the riffles are on the left side of that slick spot that's that's going to be the back side of that, and the main channel is going to be on the right side of that. So that's how you read it. And uh, back channels, back eddies are really key when you're willow cat fishing, because the fish don't want to expend too much energy to feed. So once you figure out that seam where the current meets the current, uh, that's where you want to drop your willow cat. And of course, a lot of times you'll have a, a bubble line develop too as things start to flow, and that bubble line or a weed line uh, that will give you a pretty good idea how things are flowing. You set up accordingly. Uh, it's kind of strange here. Usually the, the weed's coming down the river. That's that's a September thing. But uh, just in the last few days, though, uh, been a lot of weeds in the main channel here, at least on Pool 9, and those weeds have been mostly Elodea, which is you know, commonly called coontail weed, rather than the sandgrass, which is pretty cool because the Elodea actually is where the perch live. And I think I know, I think I know where that Elodea is coming from. And so I'm going to go perch fishing here pretty quick and actually fish between the, the strands of Elodea. That, that's the place to find the perch in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was going to ask you because uh, how, the, how the perch bite was doing here, just as sort of a, a – I, I wanted to focus on walleyes, but I did want to ask about the perch bite as well real quick. <laughs> oh, boy. And I really are not fishing. that tough to find, stay on top of them. Uh, but it, it's that, that Goldilocks thing where they're either too big or too small now with the slot limit, and I, I heartily encourage that slot limit. It's a wonderful thing. I'd like to see it be even more restrictive. But um, the perch, the perch. keep in mind, the most important thing in, in this river and finding fish is the predator-prey relationship. So if you're looking for perch, don't look for perch. Look what the, for what the perch are feeding on. And typically they feed on little things called benthic macroinvertebrates, which is a 10-cent a word for little, little bugs and other critters. Mm-hmm. Now, one of these, and we're going to get really in, literally into the weeds right now, Kevin, okay. uh, coon, coontail weed, which is Elodea. There are six species of Elodea on this neck of the Mississippi. It, it's a good weed, the coontail is. Mm-hmm. And there's a little, little teeny green worm that actually lives amongst the, the fronds of coontail. And the perch are going to find that. And they're going to seek it out, and they're going to hang in there. And so you have an Elodea bed, a weed, a coontail patch. And I use a long, long St. Croix rod, about a nine-footer, and a little lure, a signature series lure. Uh, it's Bimbo Skunk markets the thing. It's called the Teddy Skunk Perchinator. Now, the Teddy Skunk Perchinator weighs a 32nd of an ounce. The Bimbo Skunk weighs an 80th of an ounce. But that 32nd of an ounce with a long pole, and I use actually really 10-pound braid, what I use that suffix, the yellow stuff, is I will pull up to a, a, a productive-looking uh, Elodea bed 
and drop that 30-second ounce perchinator between the fronds of Aladea. So just kind of like you would like you would drop a, a little jig between the branches when you're looking for bluegills or crappies. So, okay. But I'm, look, I'm probing the weeds. When I hook up, then I get serious about it and hang in there because a lot of times when you find a spot where they're feeding on these little benthic macroinvertebrates, these little green worms, I mean, you can leave the live hole open and take as many as you feel like taking. Now, the teddy skunk perchinator, you know, a perch's fins are kind of orange. Mm-hmm. And so this thing is designed, it's actually orange, and it's got that little, a little green stripe that looks like the little green worm that they feed on on the back. And you just lower that down through there, it falls through the fronds, and if they're there, they're going to jump on it. Uh, that's where you find the perch, but the perch are going to move as they deplete a particular area of that little worm. Mm-hmm. They move on or move a little deeper, a little shallower, driven by time of day, driven by river level, river clarity. So there's, there's a lot to it. Oh yeah, and and uh, that's uh, that's great information. Let's uh, and, and I'm and, and I'm I'm glad we we had the chance to to to, to chat about that. Uh, and let's and, and let's get back to, uh, to to the walleye fishing here and just kind of wrap things up. You were talking about uh, you were saying rattle traps, things like that. Are these fish going to be uh, working shallow all pretty much across the board, or how is this uh, you know? Depth-wise, well, that that's an excellent question, and the whole thing. I mean, I, I hate you, you can't leave the the boat ramp with a preconceived motion or notion of where you're going to fish and how you're going to fish them because those fish are going to follow that forage base. Mm-hmm. That is the key. Now, if you've got a bunch of minnows and they're dogging a school of minnows, if the minnows are up on top of a closing dam or a wing dam up on the rocks where they're going to be here, uh, when the river drops another six seven inches. Uh, starting on the inside where there's less current. See, the minnows, the minnows are there because they, don't, they can't fight the current either. Mm-hmm. And so they, can, they don't want to fight the current, and so the walleyes are going to follow their base, not fighting the current. When the minnows move, the walleyes are going to move. And if it's easier for the minnows to uh, get away from the walleyes up on top of the wing dam or closing dam in three feet of water, that's where they're going to go. And when they go up there, uh, Rattletrap's got that new uh, SB57 crankbait, uh, the, the Echo 175, which only runs down a foot and a half, and then the rattle trap, you can target that, that whole top of the wing dam and throw something like an MR6 where Rappler makes like the, uh, was it, DT8, DT10 on the deep water side of that and just go where the fish are. Just follow the fish. And mm-hmm. the river's going to speak to you as where they're going to go time of day. The only way to do it, and electronics may show you the fish, but that doesn't mean they're active fish. So you need, mm-hmm. you need to set up and fish an area where the fish are going to, where they're going to feed, not where you can just see them there. The active fish is the ones you want to target, at least when you're throwing cranks. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I guess, are you going to find out in those first couple of casts how active those fish are going to be? How how they are going? To, I mean, they're not holding up a sign saying, "Hey, I'm an active fish." Uh, you know how how do, how do you? Well, you're, you're you're absolutely right, Kevin. And what I do, I mean, out there on the river every day, depending on the river level, uh, I've got six, seven, eight, nine spots that I'll I'll check real quick. Mm-hmm. just to assess the, the activity level and the location of the fish. So if I'm walleye fishing, uh, under the current conditions, I've got a couple of closing dams and wing dams that the fish should be locating at at this particular pool. I'll go there right off the bat, and I'll throw something up on top of the wing dam or closing dam, then probe a little bit deeper and give it, you know, and fan cast it, cover the top, sides, bottom, upstream, downstream, the high spots, the low spots, which tend to, to congregate the fish, and uh, do that, it takes about 10, 15 minutes, and I'm either going to pound a fish and stay in play, or I'm going to move on to another spot. After I fish two or three of these spots, if, the fish, if I'm not on the fish, 
obviously they're doing something else, and then you just modify the game plan and go according to a higher or lower river or time of day. Uh, for instance, I mean, the walleyes, all the fish that are they're active, uh, I like to fish the east side of the river in the morning and the west side in the afternoon in the summertime because of the shade factor. And, of course, that will change the, the surface temperature by several degrees and, and modifies fish behavior, too. There's a lot to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, and, and, that's, and that's great. I'm glad, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm very appreciative that you're able to, 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 to share this with us this morning here uh, on, uh, on the program here. Again, we're checking, talking with, uh, with Captain Ted Peck about the river walleyes here this morning on WKTY Outdoors. And tell me, uh, you know, that was one of the things I, I did kind of want to touch on here, too, was, was time of day. You know, you're talking about fishing early in the morning, sort of from sunrise or just, you know, to 8, 9 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And then, oh, not even, not even sunrise, Kevin. I'm talking about first light. Okay. Uh, and that anymore, you yeah, can actually yeah, see what yeah. you're doing, and, and the fish can see what they're doing, especially those walleyes, which actually have an advantage in low light. Uh, Five o'clock in the morning is not too early to get out there. As soon as that get the light penetration, provided you have visibility in that water column of at least two feet. Mm-hmm. Now, a few days ago, the river was both high and dirty. So actually, you're better off fishing from like eight to ten o'clock. Let that on a sunny day. Let that light penetrate a little to give them mm-hmm. a feeding advantage. Then you know early in the morning. Right now, and the way it's going, things are starting to drop and clear. And as they do, the bite will get earlier and earlier because the fish can actually hone in on that. Once again, following their forage base. That's the mm-hmm. whole key. And go beyond that. I mean, it's not unusual because they follow their forage base to go back there where the river is starting to drop and pull out of the trees. You're going to see a mud line develop. And, of course, there's a lot of bass in northerns in there. I mean, you can catch yeah. them with a, a spinner bait or, or a, a ripless vibrating crank, something like that. But also the walleyes, because they're following that food. So you see it, and that, that changes by the hour as things start to drop. Uh, just envision some of that flooded timber, like, like a comb or a brush that you'd use on your hair, mm-hmm. which, of course, is getting longer because of the yeah. things being closed. <laughs> but um, as the water starts for, to, to for filter those, through for those these trees, here, so. it's like That's combing the water column. Mm-hmm. So it changes by the hour. You're going to see a mud line develop, and all species of fish are going to be in that clearer water with two foot foot uh, plus visibility, rather than the mud that lays beyond it, the dirtier water. Okay. And then, if, if you're looking at at later in the day, then what what are you looking at in terms of uh, you know maybe thinking about getting out there? Uh, and I I don't know a specific you know three four or five o'clock somewhere in there where where maybe. It, that sun is starting to come down a little bit. It's maybe just kind of hitting the edge of the bluff there, but there's still plenty of plenty of light out there. Well, let, let's just take another look at that. Let's just take a look, and, and we'll talk all species as far as that goes. Or let, let's just use catfish for an example because that's the same thing as the walleyes. Uh, in the afternoon, I'm going to be fishing, like I said, the west side because of light penetration uh, this time of year in the summertime. So I'm going to be seeking out rocky structures, uh, wing dams, closing dams on the west side. And typically, if the river is on the rise, the walleyes will will stage closer to shore, sometimes even on the inside of a wing dam or a closing dam. And as the river starts to fall or in the middle of the day, they tend to drop out towards the, the outer third towards the channel of the wing dam. And you'll find them in a little bit different water. They will move throughout the day once again, following that forage base, following that food. Uh, they aren't there because they want to be there. They're there because the food is there and the easiest ambush. That is the, probably the biggest key to consistently catching walleyes or anything else for that matter on this river. Okay. 
and and in terms of of like a closing dam or a wing dam, I mean, are they all going to? Is each one? And 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 I I, I kind of know the answer to this, but is each one sort of different in in its own way? I mean, they're not all going to be holding uh, great fish or, or the right size fish or whatever. You know, that it's it's just a matter of of you know hunting each one of those down and and, and checking them out. Well, yeah, uh, given a certain river level. I mean, it gets to the point where you can actually read that river and say, well, you know, uh, here's a wing dam, and then the rocks aren't visible. There may be a foot below the surface or two feet below, and then you can kind of figure where the walleyes are going to be given that. So you, you go cast for them. You go work for them, jig for them. If they aren't there, you move in, move out a little bit before moving on. Um, but, but this whole thing, as far as the location and the wing dams, I like uh, the best wing dams I like to call, and closing dams, I like to call Friday wing dams. It's kind of like the boys that are out there uh, dumping those rocks and everything, making a wing dam or working on a wing dam. Hey, it's Friday afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Just dump that load of rocks and, and let's go get a Pepsi, you know, <laughs> rather than uh, meticulously place it. So the best ones are the ones that have a little rock pile that's a little bit higher or a little low spot, that kind of thing. So the really productive ones uh, will have a sweet spot on them, a high spot, a low spot, a rock pile, something like that, or a pile dropped off just a little bit to the side. And as the river uh, comes up or goes down, the forage base is going to move. Typically, your wing dams, uh, which run uh, perpendicular to the channel, and runs, for some reason, odd runs, like typically three, five, or seven. There are a couple places I can think of where there's two in a row, but usually three, five, or seven. Now, the particular wing dam, the, the Friday wing dam spot, which works the best, can change as the river comes up and goes down. Once again, they're following that food. So if you have a run of three wing dams, uh, you start at work inside, outside, you start to see a pattern develop, and maybe it's the top wing dam. If there's not uh, not a lot of current, typically, or less current, they'll, they'll operate or they'll locate at the, the first wing dam downstream. If there's a bunch of it, they might be at the third wing dam below that, the last wing dam closer to shore. You just got to frog around and uh, figure out the angle and the position and hook the fish. Okay. And, and 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 let me maybe a, a last point to, as well. Yeah, where are you positioning yourself uh, to to go at these wing dams? You're asking some excellent questions, pal. As a matter of fact, my rule of thumb, and this this <laughs> I shouldn't give up the trade secrets, but my rule of thumb is when and, I attack and, and, a, and, a, a I, wing I, dam. And I'm, I was well, say, I'm, I'm guessing uh-huh. that, that I'm, I, I'm saying, I'm, and I'm guessing too that if you're working a series of wing dams, you're maybe setting up in in different spots as well but i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt pardon me oh no no i am i'm going to work that wing dam and and try to listen to what the fish are telling me but for both safety and fish location if you can hold that eight foot contour with the the back of your boat front of your boat hold that eight foot contour above a wing dam typically that's going to put you within an easy cast from the face of the wing dam but still keep you out of trouble okay because so you hold that boat at eight feet Make your pitch downstream. And, of course, that's the other thing. Uh, you never see an airplane come into Atlanta lacrosse international there uh, backwards. If you do, I mean, get, get the camera rolling. <laughs> because fish are like airplanes. Are, they're hydrodynamic rather than aerodynamic. Fish will always lay facing into the current. It's just easier for them to operate those gills and also see the food coming. Now, with a wing dam situation, most of the time, uh, this time of year, uh, you're actually bringing the bait, bait past their face. So the strike window is a little bit smaller. But hold that eight-foot contour as you probe the front of the dam with a bait that runs down about eight feet, uh, like that Rattletrap MR6, which is just the hottest bait going, or like, uh, like a, a DB8, DB, I wouldn't go a 10 because that, that's too deep, but uh, DB6, DB8 in, in uh, 
the uh, rapala line of baits and then throw that thing and work it. And if the fish are not responding to that, go up on top of it with something that only runs down a couple of feet. Mm-hmm. But stay at that eight-foot contour. Okay. Stay at the eight-foot contour. You can't go wrong if you've got a bait that covers the whole water column. And the, a good way to find out the fish activity level, a lot of times I'll have two clients in the boat, and I'm going to work a wing dam or a closing dam. Well, let's just say a closing dam, which runs up and down stream mm-hmm. pretty much, is I will have uh, the person in the front of the boat uh, throw upstream with a, with a bait that runs down about eight feet as I parallel it, and the guy in the back of the boat throws something that only runs down about four feet across the face of the rocks. So you try to establish a pattern. Are they on top of the rocks or are they off to the side? And electronics are nice, but they, they don't tell you where the active fish are. And the only way to do it pretty much is just go after them, read the water. Yep. And, uh, and, and I'm guessing you can find out fairly quickly, you know, that where those fish, where the active fish, I should say, are, are, are going to be. Absolutely. And that's a little little guide trick there that I just love when you pull up there with clients and, and they're struggling with it. And I'm, I'm watching as they cast and, and trying to direct where, where the angle of the retrieve is and the speed and all this other stuff. If, if I'm really feeling my heart of hearts that there's fish there, uh, I'll, let them, I'll let them attack and say, well, you want me to pick up a rod? And like these little teeny sweet spots, kind of know where they are. And if the fish are there, I'm going to catch one within five casts. Okay. And and let, to, just to kind of going on, we we're talking about positioning here. Uh, you, you know, you've got a series of, of wing dams. Are you working each one of those? You know, say you work you know, the the top one for lack of a better term. You know, and you've got a series of say three of them uh, right in a row. Are you going to fish them each the same way? Work them the same way, or work them a little? You know, it's like work them a little bit differently each each time. Well, each one's going to have a, a different sweet spot there, Kevin. So I might start out uh, at the middle point of the upper one, the upstream one, and by the time I get to the bottom one, uh, usually there'll be a, a deep hole off the end of it and then a pocket close to shore. I might even go, if there, there's a lot of current, actually go downstream, mm-hmm. hit the downstream side of that, the, uh, the wing dam furthest downstream. So it just, it, it's just a matter of, of time on the water and reading the water and uh, going where the, the bait fish are likely to be and give them something that they might be interested in. Uh, I'm, I'm aggressive that way. You, you find the fish, you find the pattern, and there's uh, I've got a, probably seven, eight lures that are my go-to baits when I'm fishing the rocks. And then once you find them, then you tweak that accordingly and stay with them. You've got to dog them because they will move. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to deplete the active fish off one. You're going to educate them and then move on to similar habitat. So if, if the habitat I'm looking at or the, the, the conditions on the, say there's just a little bit of water going over the top of that third wing dam, and it, looks, it just feels right and I catch a couple of fish there, I'm going to move to, to another series of rocks up or downstream and try to find essentially those same parameters and start there. As things start to change, you modify the technique. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, great. I, I tell you what, I, I've got to take a, a quick break, but uh, uh, I want to get you back just uh, in, in a moment here, and we'll talk about uh, your new book here in just a moment here. But uh, I need to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a couple of moments with more of WKTY Outdoors on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. It's 8.50. Welcome back to WKTY Outdoors. It's 8.52. Chatting on the phone this morning here with Captain Ted Peck, Fishing Hall of Famer, author, guide, and uh, among other things as well. Uh, boy. Uh, you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been on the planet for a long, long time, Kevin. So not so much busy. Just you got to stage your activities and act accordingly when you get to be an old guy. <laughs> 
Well, let's and, and I do appreciate you taking the time this morning to uh, to talk about river walleyes and and uh, everything as well. But I did I did want to talk a little bit. You've got a a, a new book coming out as well. Right. Uh, it's been 10 years since the last book, and the, the last book is called Mississippi Musings with the Old Guide, and that's still available on Amazon and on Kindle. The, the new book is, is uh, I've been writing outdoors for over 40 years, and it's uh, a collection of a bunch of columns and stories from Big River Magazine uh, over the last 20 years or so. That I, The reason I'm coming out with it at this time is just because of this whole COVID thing and the uncertainties of all the riots and everything. Uh, to provide some sort of a waypoint or a benchmark so we can see where we've been and, and actually how things have changed in 20 years. Uh, so there, there's some humor in there and some, some hard, hard knowledge, but just columns. And uh, the, the subtitle of it is uh, The Outdoor Reader for Folks with Indoor Plumbing. Uh, each one of them is just long enough, about 10 minutes, and that, that should be enough to read whatever. But uh, anyway, it's called Tales, Trails, and Tales, which is T-A-I-L-S, comma, Trails, Mm-hmm. T-R-A-I-L-S, and Tales, T-A-L-E-S, with the old guide. Uh, it's available right now on Kindle Books, and it's going to be available. I just got the brief copy, so it's going to be available uh, by Amazon and paper book here, paperback, within, within about a week or so. Uh, real excited about it, kind of kind of neat to get it going. Uh, something that I do uh, on Saturdays. If people want to hire me to, uh, to work on Saturdays as a guide, I have adapted my rates there to $1,000 for four hours uh, for two guys. And uh, every Saturday is open, folks, if you want to sign up for it or if you want to pay a reasonable rate uh, during the week. I mean, i still got some openings here as we go through the summer. Yep, yep. And, 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 how, and how, is that, uh, how, has that been, uh, how has that been going? I'm, I'm guessing now that the conditions are kind of getting a little bit more uh, uh, fishing-friendly, as it were, uh, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing that's probably starting to pick up a little bit as well. Oh, Kevin, I'm busy as I want to be, finally. I mean, last year was just an extremely tough year uh, for all folks concerned. And, and one of the chapters in this new book, it talks about how the, the habitat is degraded here, uh, La Crosse, and, and down here around uh, uh, New Albany and Genoa and south of Lynxville. So that, that's a major impact there. Uh, it's part of that kind of thing. And I, I'm as busy as I want to be, but um, still willing to take some folks out. And you, you get in the boat with me, it's, it's going to be a... a Full, full-blown seminar. I, I promise people that they'll get out of the boat a better fisherman than they got in because it's important to teach about this river and all the aspects of the environment. It, it all goes together, everything from the, the bugs to the birds to the, the fish. It's one big integrated puzzle, which is uh, kind of fun to, to figure out. How, how big was the mayfly hatch down in your neck of the woods the other night? I could see it on radar anyway. Well, uh, down here on 9, it wasn't that bad. And, of course, when the mayflies hatch, that's an entirely different thing because the fish target it. A lot of people think it's a tough bite on the mayfly hatch. Well, it is and it isn't. As, the, as these clouds of mayflies come down the river and start to die and fall into the river, the way to go after them, this really works well, you actually just match the hatch. I've got some, some actual mayfly uh, flies that I use, and I'll put them on the back end of like a, oh, a, a pop R or a chug bug, something like that. I just tie it with a heavy dropper maybe a little steel leader or a piece of 50-pound mono, and the fish are in, there in the water column, and they're actually feeding well, like, like, a, like a mud line, like a, like a leaf line or a bug line. They're actually feeding actually a bug, a bug line. The fish are going to be feeding on the surface. So you get that uh, pop R in there with a little mayfly imitation, and that causes commotion, which draws in the fish. And it's not unusual to, to catch a, a bunch of nice walleyes on a topwater bass bait like a pop R if you got that little mayfly hanging out there. So you just got to modify your presentation a little bit. Wow. 
Great. Well, fabulous. Well, I, I, I've got a my the, the time is running down here. I've got to uh, wrap things up for the this, this show here uh, and take another quick break here. But uh, uh, Captain Ted Peck, I, I really appreciate you taking the time here uh, to uh, to chat with me this morning. And I I I, I know I'm going to get you back on here uh, uh, maybe even next week if you're not busy guiding. Who knows? So. Well, if somebody wants to pay me a thousand dollars, I'll be on the water. But I hope they don't. I mean, let the, let the clowns have the circus here for uh, on that day on Saturday. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be hanging out here, probably, Lord willing. All right. Well, hang on one second here. I'm going to take a, a quick break, and we'll uh, I'll be back in just a moment to wrap things up with WKTY Outdoors here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM.